You and I are one choice, one decision away from changing our lives. You know the power of a choice, like the power of making a decision that it can affect you, but not only you, because when you make a decision, when I make a decision, it has the power to affect other people's lives, no matter if they made the decision or not, it's going to affect them. Do you agree with that, right? I, I made a choice. In 2007, I made a choice after much prayer and consulting some uh, very wise and godly people. I made a choice to pack up everything I have, including my family, to leave my really good union job with Ford Motor Company and to move every bit of my family from Taylorsville, Kentucky. Anyone ever been to Taylorsville, Kentucky before? No, you haven't. <laughs> Small town. And to move to Las Vegas to be a part of this thing called Grace Point Church. And uh, let me tell you about the guarantees I had when I came out here to be a part of Grace Point Church, the part of the plant. I had zero guarantees. I had zero guarantee of a job. I had zero guarantee of a a salary. And as a matter of fact, I made zero dollars edit. And it was a big risk and big uh, challenge. But we decided to do this. And it has changed my life forever. Now, of course, Angie and I, we prayerfully made that decision together. But through God's leading of me to come here and be a part of this, we came together. And at the time, we just had three children. We had Kenzie, we had Tatum, we had Ian. Now, with Kenzie, Tatum, and Ian, um, it, is a, it is a dictatorship in my home. It is not a democracy. They did not get a vote and to come out here or to not come out here. And so my choice affected them as well. They were just kind of along for the ride. Now, in choosing to come out here, to be honest with you, it has caused a lot of pain. It has caused a lot of suffering. It really has. Uh, It was hard to leave our families in Kentucky. And every time we go back to Kentucky, it gets harder and harder at times because they're our family. They're getting old, and it's it's just hard. It's very hard. Church planning, if you know anything about it or have heard anything about it, church planning is very, very difficult. It's very hard to start a church. And along the way, lots of terrible, lots of hard, a lot of disorienting things have happened to me and to my family as well. But I made that choice, and they've had to suffer along the way at times. To be very honest with you, I have a hard time believing that Grace Point Church still exists. I'm, not, I'm, just, I'm serious. Like It's gone through a whole lot. Some of you have been here for a long time. Can I get a little amen on that? Because the Lord has suffered a bunch of fools around here, me being one. It's true. It's hard. But there has been blessings like I, I could, could not have imagined. The blessings of being here. Angie and I and our family, we've learned to depend upon God in some very deep, personal, and intimate ways. Because here's the reality. When you have nothing, Jesus becomes your everything. Because, I mean, you just have to. I, I have literally seen God save hundreds of people since we've been here. I've seen God revive the, the, the faith or revive the souls of thousands of people here. I, and the blessings of like you, Grace Point Church, becoming my family has been one of the greatest blessings of all. There are people here that I consider my brothers and my friends and I just love dearly. And it's just been one of the greatest blessings. And while here, we had our fourth child. We have Cora. And she's amazing. And then while here, because of the choice I've made, uh, I hit the son-in-law lottery. I have Richie and I have Carter, the, the greatest two men ever 
that I could think and dream of handing my two daughters over to. And their families as well have become my family. It's just been a, a, a beautiful thing. And now uh, I have four grandchildren. I have Levi and Ellis and Zion. And next month we're going to have Juniper. We're going to have a little June bug. And I'm so excited about that. It's the greatest thing at all. All these people that I have mentioned have been affected by my choice, by my decision. All have. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, well, Ty, you're kind of bragging. Like, look at what you've done. No, no, no. Listen to me. God can use a jackalope like me. He can use one like you too, right? And so, like, all glory and all praise and all honor to God. But here's what the point of it is. Someone else can make a decision that will vastly affect your life. Today, we're continuing our journey through the book of Romans, and I want us to see that, that our lives are affected by others. And I'm even going to say that our lives and our eternities have been affected by the works of other people. And so I'm going to make two statements, and these two statements are going to be two jarring statements, and I want you to prepare yourself to hear what I'm getting ready to say. Statement number one, our God is a God who saves and condemns by works. Statement number two, we will be saved by our works or we will, be, we will be saved by works or we will be condemned by works. Hang on. Some of you are like, whoa, 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 whoa. This does not feel right. Before you get like your Bible and your, your purse all gathered up, like we out of here. Hang on. Hang on. Give me a listen. And I would say even better yet, give God's word a listen. I want to show you something. And I think from this works-based mentality, works-based condemnation, works-based salvation, I think we're going to find some really, really good news. But it's going to be uncomfortable. After today, you may remove me from your Christmas card list. I don't know. But if you've got a Bible, go to Romans chapter 5. That's where we're going to spend our time. Romans 5. Uh, here at Grace Point Church, we say it each and every week, you're going to need a Bible. We lead, teach, and preach from the Bible. Listen, let me just be real honest with you. What I say really doesn't matter. All I want to do is show you what God's Word says and do my best to kind of explain it in a very practical, understanding way. And so we want to have God's Word before us. And so if you don't own a Bible, we want to give you one. We have them in English and Spanish here and out at Centerpoint as well. And you can download version on your phone and follow along there. But in the last couple of weeks, Paul has been showing them and us how we are reconciled to God through all that Jesus has done. And last week, if you were with us, I said something kind of jarring. I said, hey, we all deserve hell like right now, right? And what do we not get right now? We didn't get it. Why? Like, why do we deserve hell? And how, how did this all come about? How did we get into this mess? I think that's what Paul is going to answer for us today. Uh, and I think from our text today, the two statements, our God is a God who saves and condemns by works. And we will be saved by works or we'll be condemned by works. He, I think he's going to show that. So we're going to start Romans chapter 5, verse 12. We're going we're gonna to just be in verse 12 for a long time, and then we'll, we'll, we'll kind of go through the other ones, and then we'll try to get in and out of this thing. I was going, I've been studying this. I was writing this. And then I, this morning I was kind of processing this, and I'm like, man, did I forget how to preach? Like, this, it's, it's, it's a difficult situation, but let's see what happens. All right, verse 12. You ready? You'll see. Verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Now, I want you to look back at that verse. There's a chain reaction that's going to happen in that verse. Notice, sin entered the world. As sin entered the world, death entered the world, and death spread to all human beings. Okay. Now, the text does say through one man. Now, I know when I tell you who's the one man, you're going to want to say Jesus. But in the text, 
Who is the one man that this all came through? Who did this? Adam. Adam did this. Now, um, we're talking about Adam, Adam from the book of Genesis. A lot of debate and like, um, I don't answer out loud, but I want you to think through, is Adam a myth or is Adam actually a man in creation in, in you know, human history? And the answer is, Adam is not a myth. Adam was a real human being. If you go all the way back to Genesis, you'll see this. Now, go ahead and take your Bible and go all the way to Genesis. We'll spend a little time in there. And if you've been with us for uh, seasons, you'll know that I go back to Genesis a lot. Why? Because without the story of Genesis and without the story of Adam, it's hard to understand the rest of the story. And so we keep going back to that over and over and over. We'll go back to it again. But uh, in Genesis, it just means beginnings. And in the beginning, we believe that God has always existed. And so God spoke everything into creation. So everything you and I see, God spoke that. Isn't that great? He spoke like just the power of his words and worlds and people and plant life and all that. It, you know, boom, it existed. And specifically, when you get to the crown jewel of his creation, Adam, he, uh, he created Adam out of the ground. And it says that he formed him out of the dust, breathed into the, the breath of life into his nostrils, and Adam was a live human being. Now, as I've always said, uh, this... Human beings are like the crown jewel of God's creation. Why? Because we are created special. We, have the, we bear the image of God, meaning that we are like God, but don't get me wrong here, we are not God. Although we like to play the part of God, we are not God, but we, we share some similarities, some likeness. We, are, we, uh, we have uniqueness about us that no, no part of creation has. And so he creates Adam. And then from Adam, he's like, hey, man, it's not good for you to be alone because it's not good for men to be alone. Am I right? It's not good. Show guys some amens on that one. Uh, anyway, he puts Adam in a deep sleep, pulls out a rib, and boom, has Eve. Adam and Eve are the first couple, the first human beings. Okay? And their relationship with God was perfect. They interacted with God. God would come walking around the garden. They would hang out with God. They were naked and had no shame. And all they did what married people do when they're naked, and it was like then they had like this whole garden, so they're gardening and they're like it's it's a it's a great thing. And God provides for them and says, Hey, there's a whole garden around you, just eat whatever you want, except there's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat it. And then we get to Genesis 3, which is interesting. It only took three chapters in the in the story of hum humanity to mess it all up. Three chapters. You thought we'd got halfway through the book, but nope. Now the serpent, and so we're in, introduced to the serpent, which is Satan in the form of a serpent, we believe. He's more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, so who did, who did the, the serpent, who did Satan go to first? Okay, that's what our text says. Eve, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, Never, neither shall you touch it lest you die. So God says, if you eat of this tree, you're going to die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. He's twisting the truth. He's deceiving. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so Satan's like, hey, don't trust God. You can become a God on your own. It'll be great. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was standing there like a buffoon who was with her and he ate. Okay, got it? That's the new Thai translation. Um, what'd they do wrong? They ate. Who ate first? 
All right, so stay right there. First uh, uh. Timothy 13, Paul explains this a little bit. Paul gives a little commentary. He says, For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. It seems to me a woman wrecked the world. I told you I'm getting removed from your Christmas card list. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Go back to Genesis 3.8. I want, I want to show you something. This is interesting. Don't, don't, don't put all this on Eve. Verse 8, Genesis 3. And they heard the sound of the Lord. So this is after they sinned. They sewed some fig leaves together. And when, used to when they would hear the sound of the Lord, they'd go run into him and they'd hang out with him and talk to him and all this. Now they heard the sound of the Lord, God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden, which is just hilarious. Hiding from God. Some of us are like, I'm hiding from God right now. <laughs> no, stop it. But the Lord God called to, who did he call to? But Eve ate first. He called to the man Adam and said, where are you? Now, God was not like, I don't know. I don't know where you are. Where are you? I think he's asking like this existential, he's asking like this big question, like, Adam, where are you? Like, what, what's going on? What, like, why? I think that's the question. That's. So God calls for Adam but Paul says in Romans 5.12 that sin came through one man, Adam, but Eve was the one who first ate, as Paul says in 1 Timothy. What is going on here? Well, Adam is and was responsible. Why? Biblically speaking, Adam was the head of Eve, and Adam is the head of humanity. So Adam is the head of you and I when it comes to humanity. That's even what Adam's name means. It means man or mankind. Adam is the head of us. Now, when we start looking at this practically, uh, Adam and Eve are in the garden. A snake comes up. A snake starts talking. That's Adam's uh, moment to shine. Like, hey, there's a talking snake. Got to kill that. <laughs> like, but he didn't. He stood by and he let the, the serpent uh, poison his wife and deceive her while he stood by and he was passive. He was supposed to be the head. And, and the head means I'm going to protect. The head means I'm going to provide. And yet he didn't. And so as the head, Adam is accountable and responsible. Let me say it one more time. Adam is accountable and responsible. Eve, sure, she sinned, but Adam's sin, I believe, was greater because he was accountable and he was responsible. So Let's, let's, take a little, let's take a little side street real quick, and you're going to love this. Let's take a side street real quick, uh, and let's talk about marriage. Uh, in marriage, uh, Angie and I, uh, we want to live out the biblical roles in which we're called. And the biblical role is, I am to be the head of my wife, is what Ephesians 5 says. And so I want to lead her well. The head does not mean that I am the boss. Can I say that one more time to you gentlemen? I'm going to help you out real quick. I'm not the boss. Just not. The head means I'm responsible. So what does that mean? I get to go around and call the shots and make all the decisions? No. My, my wife is right here as well, so I make sure she hears all this. No, I don't. Like, we, we make decisions together. I love when people try to sell us stuff, and they'll, they'll be like, you know, they'll ask me. I'm like, hey, you know, Angie and I, we made this rule a long time ago. We wait 24 hours before we make any major purchase. It's really smart. You, you ever had buyer's remorse? 
sleep on it really helps you out. But anyway, someone will corner me, they want to sell me something. I'm like, ah, you know, I'm going to talk to my wife about that. And they're like, well, who makes decisions in your home? I was like, well, let me tell you. I'm no idiot. I've been married almost 30 years. We make them together. <laughs> so it doesn't mean boss. It means that I am responsible. So men, are you being responsible for those in your care? We don't want to have this sin of Adam of being passive. So we want to care for those in our, in our, in our care. That would be our wives. We want to, like, are we loving our wives well? And are we caring for our wives well? Are we being sacrificial? Because we see Jesus as the perfect head of the church, and he was sacrificial and kind and loving and gentle and leading and pastoring and guiding. Are we doing that within our homes as well? For some of you, you're like, hey, I'm a guy, I'm single. Let me, let me tell you this. Are you, are you being a good leader for your future spouse? Just because you're single doesn't mean you have license to go be dumb. And so now is you're prepping for later on because you might want to be married. And so be, like, like do that well now, protecting, providing, doing great things like that so you can do it well later on. What about when you have children? Fathers, we're called to lead our homes. And we want to lead them in the ways of Christ. We want to lead them to be more Christ-like. We want to lead them in the way of the gospel. We want to lead them in repentance and faith. We want to lead them in these ways. Are we being passive? And we're like, no, the church can do it. No, my wife can do it because she's better than I am. No, we do that, and we do that together. But we are to care for and shepherd our families well. This is what our Bibles have told us. I know it's not. I'm, I'm about as popular as a white crayon right now. I get it. I understand. I get that. This is what our, our Bibles have called us Christians into, into roles. Now, those roles get distorted, and, and unfortunately, um, divorce, and unfortunately, men like are past. Unfortunately, those things, and there's all the nuances of sometimes, ladies, you have to play both roles, and the Lord is with you, and the Lord sees you. Absolutely. But this is what God has called us to. But, but what, what, what's happening now is God has order, and he brings order to things, and, and humanity, our culture, our modern times, we want to blow that up. We, we don't like God's rule. We don't like God's reign. We don't like God's roles. The thought of the day is to remove every restriction, every rule and order and law. And when we remove all the restrictions, remove all the rule, we remove all the law, then and only then will humans be able to flourish. Then and only in, then will we uh, become our, our, our best version of ourselves and we'll reach our full potential and all those things. There's this idea in humanity is if we could break the ceiling above us. And the ceiling above us is typically, when you look at it into the world standards, it's typically God's wor- word, God's rule, God's reign and God's role. The idea, if we can bust through that, well, then we will all be better and humanity will flourish and do amazing. Can I ask you a question? How's that working for us? Let's remove, uh, let's remove uh, all the boundaries around sexuality. Let, let's make gender fluid. Let, let's, let's everyone get to have their own truth. What's true for you might not be true for me, but what's true for me might not be true for you. And so there's no absolute truth now, which when you say there's no absolute truth, that is an absolute. Let's, let, let's, let's remove all these, let's remove that ceiling. We'll bust through and humanity will soar. How, how is that working for us? I, I don't think well. Do you, do you honestly believe the world is getting better or worse? It feels worse. It just really does. That's what it really seems like. Do you feel like uh, humanity is freer or more enslaved now? I would say enslaved. 
See, the Bible is not a ceiling that humanity needs to break through to flourish. The Bible is actually a floor. It's actually a foundation in which we are to build our lives, our families, and our civilization upon. Why? Because this is God's way for human beings to flourish. I'd argue that the Bible and people living out the Bible and obeying the Bible is the only thing that's keeping the world together right now. I believe that with everything in me. And so Adam, um, Adam, Adam thought he was busting through ceilings, I guess, right there, but he just busted through the floor, took his wife and the rest of us down with him. Why? Because his choice affects us. Let me show you. Look at verse 12. Hey, thanks for sticking around. Verse 12. <laughs> Give me a minute. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to, now I want you to look at this last part, to all men, mankind, because all sinned. Pay careful attention to that last part. To all men because all sinned. Meaning because of Adam, we've all sinned. And so our response is, don't like that. I wasn't there. I didn't get a choice in the matter. And I didn't get a choice. It's not fair that I would be judged by Adam's sin. And you think about the costly nature of Adam's sin. Think about when, when God said death, that means that death comes to where we're all going to die. You and I are eventually going to die. And death also means that there's an eternal death. Without Christ, we'll be separated from God's blessing and God's flourishing for all of eternity. So this is a big deal. So what does it mean that we all sinned because we were not there? Well, uh, this is originally written in, uh, in Greek. And then the, the way the verb sinned is used here, it's pointing to a single past action. Paul's saying that the whole human race sinned in one single past action. Paul's not saying that humans all die because we're like Adam, meaning we sin like Adam. No, no. He's saying we all die because we are all in Adam. We sin because his sin is counted for us that we sinned. This is what theologians call federal headship or covenantal headship. You ever heard of it? Give me a little nod. Covenant, covenantal headship or federal headship. This is what this is called. Adam is and was the federal head of all of humanity. Covenantal, meaning God entered a covenant with Adam. If Adam obeyed, all of mankind would be blessed and flourished. If Adam disobeyed, all of mankind would be cursed and not flourished. Adam is our legal representation before God. And when he, the first human, sins, it is as if all of us sinned. And so because Adam sinned, we all get the death penalty. You still with me? Many of us will cross our arms on that and we're like, don't like that. Well, it's a very foreign concept to our modernistic minds, isn't it? The way most of us think, because our world has turned very just hyper-individualistic, is this. We represent ourselves and ourselves alone. We control our destinies. We are an island of choices and autonomy. Uh, a person rises or falls or succeeds or fails according to their own actions, decisions, and all that. We believe that to be right, but actually it's not right. We are not individuals per se. We are interconnected with the human race and of the human species. Adam is our head. See, the Bible takes a radically different approach when it comes to, in, to, to humanity. Uh, God puts us typically in groups. He talks about groups in, in, in big ways, this human solidarity throughout the whole Bible. And so Adam is our federal head. A federal head is a person through a covenant relationship. He represents or stands in our place. And many of us, when we hear that, we're like, I, I don't like Adam standing in my place. 
I wish I had the opportunity to choose who was in the garden on my behalf. Well, here's what we have to come to the reality of. God's better at picking than we are. And so he picked, he picked Adam. If he would have picked you, guess what? We'd be using your name right now. <laughs> and so Adam's sin is accounted to every human being. But, but we understand this, right? Uh, anyone here a fan of the Olympics? Summer, right? The winter ones don't count. <laughs> I like to snow ski. Well, good for you. Um, well, when, when, when Team USA comes on, I don't know, I'm a big medal counter guy. I love watching the medal count. And like when Team USA wins gold, silver, bronze, I'm like, hey, hooray, we won. And we're all like cheering, yay, we won. I did not get up off the couch, dust the Cheeto fingers off my fingers and get out there and start swimming like Michael Phelps. Did you? How, how did you win? I wasn't out there jumping and pole vaulting and throwing javels and shot puts. And, were you doing that? How did we win? This team has been selected to represent us. They're, they're doing it on our behalf. We understand this, right? In this country, we have a democracy. You and I vote for leaders. They go and they do what on our behalf? They what? They represent us, right? The president represents you. You got... Hold on. Hey, hey, hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. It was cute. It, it's cute. Uh, on the social media formerly known as Twitter, when people used to put the hashtag, not my president. For the past president, this president, it'll happen for the next president. Guess what? They are your president. If you're an American citizen, so what? They're your president. You can't just say, not my president, and that, like, just because I spoke that out into the ether, it's a reality. No, it is your president. It is. Well, we're already talking about headship. Let me throw something in a little bit more controversial. Um, some of us, we hear this about Adam being our head. I'm like, don't like that. Don't I have free will to choose what I want to and not what I want to? So let's talk about free will real quick while we're at it. Might as well. Um, do we have free will? Well, let's start with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, I believe, I would concede to say they had freedom of will before sin entered the world. Adam and Eve were made with the ability to sin, but they also had the ability to not sin. Their will was not enslaved by sin before the fall. Their will was, as we would say, free. Adam and Eve had the power or the will to resist temptation and not fall into sin. They also had the the power and the will to not sin. They also had the ability to not die, and they had the ability to die. Now, I'm not saying, I am not saying that Adam and Eve were created immortal, but in the right circumstance, they could die, meaning if they sinned against God. Does that make sense? So Adam and Eve, has, uh, they possessed two sets of abilities, the ability to sin and not sin, the ability to die and not die. Got it? We're going to call that free will question for you. Hey, do you have the ability to not sin? Huh? Do you have the ability to not sin? Like, I, I think as Christians, we should try to not sin. How's that going for us? Huh? <laughs> right? Some of us sit back like, you know what? I'm good. I'm not going to sin anymore. Well, there's pride. <laughs> Got him. 
So we, we right now do not have the ability to not sin. I don't think so. Not this side of heaven, not without Christ returning and glorifying us. I don't think we do. All right, here's another one. Do you have the ability to not die? We, we don't. We, we, we don't. So Adam and Eve had that before the fall, but my friends, that is gone. We, we, we have, look, look, free will meaning we have choices. Yeah, I can go walk out in the middle of the street and get hit by a car. That was my choice. Absolutely. Do we have freedom of will to trust God? Do we have freedom of will to obey? Do we have freedom of will to surrender our lives and have God as our God? The Bible tells us emphatically we do not. It was in Romans chapter 1 and 2. Go back and, and, and research that. We don't. We, we can't. Good news for us, though, is that in Christ, he's redeeming. And in, in heaven, when he returns or however that looks, we will have the ability to not sin anymore. And we'll have the ability to not die anymore. That's really good news. But all this, because Adam, he, he's our federal head. And what his works have done, they've been accounted to us. They are in our account. That's the theological word we get called imputation. They've been put in our record. They've been put in our bank account. And so when God looks at our bank account as Adam's head, he sees sinner. He sees death. He sees eternal separation. Got it? So we are in Adam. Well, you may be wondering, like, why? how did that get put into my account? I don't like that. Well, here's, the re- here's how it got into your account. You were born. Everybody here was born, right? Raise your hand if you were born. You've been born? Some of you are like, don't want to think about that, but you were born. And we can't keep ourselves from acting like our daddy. We can't. It's in our very DNA. We're going to act just like them. Um, you, ever, you ever been around a kid? Like a little, like a little kid? Like a little one? Who, who taught them to, to scream, mine? Who taught them to look at you and go like, no? I'm like, do you not know who I am and look at my size, child? Do you not understand? Like, who taught them to sin? Did you? It's instinctual. There's a guy by the name of Burton White. He's done a lot of empirical research on children for decades, and he's got this book called The New First Three Years of Life, which is funny. And this is what he says. Parents lean into this. From 15 to 16 months on, as the self-awareness becomes more substantial, so they're, they're like researching children, as his, the child's self-awareness becomes more substantial, something in his nature we don't fully understand will lead him to deliberately try each of these forbidden activities, specifically to see what will be allowed and what won't. In other words, he will begin systematically to challenge the authority of the adult he lives with. Resistance to simple requests become very common at this time, and if there is more than one child around, this can be a low point in the parenting experience. (laughs) And that's why you drink Chardonnay at 9 (laughs) a.m. Kidding, 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 kidding. But interesting, it says something in his nature. I wonder what it is. The DNA of Adam. We, we have his sin nature. We are just like our daddy. All that I have said so far to get us to this point. Our God is a God who saves and condemns by works. We will be saved by works or we will be condemned by works. We are condemned to die because of sin and because of Adam's work. His curse, his disobedience has been imputed to us. It has been given to us. It is in every fiber of our life. Again, I know you want to sit back and say, I don't like that well. Good news is this is just half the story. But here's the reality. If we reject the imputation of Adam, 
we're going to be in trouble because there's something greater coming. Paul keeps hammering the nail. Look at verse 13. All that. I think I went about 30 minutes on the first verse. Here we go. Verse 13. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. Uh, whom did the law come through? What's his name in the Bible, Old Testament? Moses. Okay. So sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgressions of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So Paul's addressed this in the second chapter. He's talking, to, I think, to the Greek Gentile converts of like, hey, even before the law, we know this is true. People without the law still died. Why? They still had the DNA of Adam. It's, the, it's still there. Now, if we stop here, we're going to be in trouble. If we say, hey, I don't want someone else representing me, we're going to be in trouble. We're going to say, hey, I don't want Adam's sin imputed to me. I don't want that unrighteousness. But we got to look at verse 14. Look at that last line because here's some good news coming. Look at the last line in verse 14. It says, Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Adam was just a type of the one who was to come. Adam blew it. Let's just be honest. He blew it in the garden. But there's, he's just a type. There's, there's one that's going to come that's going to have the works to make us okay. Who's that going to be? Well, maybe it's us. Maybe, you know what? We're better than Adam. We can do more than Adam. Our righteousness is amazing before God. Well, the Bible corrects that when you look at Isaiah 64, 6. It says this, we have all become like one who is unclean and all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. If you look at the Hebrew language on polluted garment, do your research on that. It's not good. So we're not good enough. Adam's not good enough. We're, we're not good enough. And the good enough, dare I say, it's got to be perfection. What shall we ever do? Who can ever stand on our behalf? Who can save us? I don't know. Let's pray. Verse 15. But the free gift, I love this, free gift is not like the trespasses. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abound for many. So now Paul's making this comparison of Adam and the second Adam, Jesus. And the free gift is not like the results of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. We all got condemnation because of Adam, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification, meaning we are legally right before God. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, what's those two words right there? Two words. What's those two words? Much more. Much more will those who receive, keyword, receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Paul is showing us the second Adam, the one who is to come, and his name is Jesus. Now, if you read this text, it should read something like this. As we are condemned on the account of what Adam did, so we are justified on account of what Jesus did. Now, when we read this, we get a little confused. We're like, whoa, 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 Ty. If all of us are guilty by association with Adam and the way the text reads, aren't we all guilty by association with Jesus? Meaning, does this mean that everyone's saved? That this is what uh, theologians call universalism? Ty, are you saying the Bible promotes universalism? And Ty, does Grace Point Church promote a universalistic gospel? And my answer is, I wish. I wish. Yeah, I got lots of loved ones I want to see just... Come on in. Love that. 
But there's just too much, too much scripture to, to say otherwise. That you, that you have to worship Jesus. You have to trust Jesus. You have to walk with Jesus. You have to you know, honor. You have, like, this is, this is, you have to receive. That's the key word, I think. Receive the free gift. Look at verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. See, it feels very universalistic right there, right? For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Like I, I, again, I think you let Scripture interpret, interpret Scripture, and so I don't see a universalistic um, gospel there that everyone is saved no matter what. I don't. That you must, you must bow knee to Jesus. You must trust Jesus. But, but then I, I'm going to push against this. Why does he use the word many? And it's because I think God is very gracious. I think God is going to, before he returns, I think he's going to save many. Like a lot. Like a lot, a lot. Because I think there's a promise back with Abraham. Remember Abraham? The promise was, I'm going to make your, your, uh, your descendants as much as the sand on the seashore and as many as the stars in the sky. That's a lot, right? And then when you get to the end of the story, uh, in Revelation, it says this. And so I believe this. Revelation 9 and 10, it says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. Translation, a lot of people. From every nation and from all tribes and, all, and people and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, palm branches in their hand, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So I, I, I'm not a universalist, but I think lots of people are going to be saved. Maybe. Read your Bible. Think through that. But here's the point. Our God is a God who saves and condemns by works. Who, we will be saved by works or we will be condemned by our works. You are going to be saved or condemned based upon not your works, but someone else's works. Can you hear that? You are not saved by your works. And I'll argue that you're not condemned by your works. Is that not what our text told us today? We are condemned because we, are, we have Adam as our head. By, by his works, and now we all join in, of course, that's the reason why. But there's really good news. You can be saved not by your works, but by the works of Jesus. That, that's the good news of the gospel. You either have Adam as head or you have Jesus as head. And when you look through these texts and you contrast, let me just show you a contrast. And I, I'm, I'm going to feel like a salesman because I, I really want to sell this to you. And at the end, I'm going to ask you, which one do you want to be in? Okay, you ready? In Adam, sin. In Christ, he's sinless. These are what you get in your account, sin or sinless. This is, this is going to be a credit to you. In Adam, death. In Jesus, life. In Adam, condemnation. In Jesus, justification. I'm going too fast for you to write, Emma. In Adam, in your account, it says disobedience. In Christ, obedience. Why? Jesus was perfectly obedient. Not once did he sin in any way possible. In Adam, unrighteousness. That's what's in our account. In Jesus, righteousness. In Adam, trespasses. In Christ, there's this free gift of grace. Which one do you want? <laughs> like, I can't imagine someone like, I'll take Adam, please. <laughs> I mean, Adam... And the second Adam. Similarities and differences. Adam turned from the Father in the garden. Jesus turned to the Father when he was in the garden. Adam was naked and unashamed while he was in the garden. Jesus was nearly naked and bore our shame. 
Adam's sin brought us thorns. Jesus is the one who took thorns, a crown of them. Adam substituted himself for God, trying to be God. Jesus was God substituting himself for us, the sinner. Adam sinned at the tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Jesus bore our sin on a tree. Adam died as a sinner. Jesus died for sinners. Which one do you want? Jesus. Of course we want Jesus. And now the question is, how do I get that? Well, Jesus tells us. How do you get Jesus' head? Jesus tells us in John 3, verses 3 through 7, it says this. Jesus answered him. He's out there having a conversation with a guy by the name of Nicodemus. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again. Remember the first birth that gave us Adam's imputed unrighteousness. The second birth is going to give us Jesus' Jesus imputed right. We'll have his work record. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Yuck. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot, cannot. It's, Jesus didn't say, unless you're good. Jesus didn't say, unless you work really hard. Jesus didn't say, unless you're good, better than you're bad. Unless you be spiritual, unless you're religious, unless you do religious things. He didn't say any of that. He just said, you must be born again. Unless you're born again of spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. So the question is, have you been born again? Whose work are you trusting? Because our God is a God who saves and condemns by work. And we will be saved by works or we'll be condemned by works. Be, we'll have Adam as head We'll have Jesus said, have you been born again? I got a couple minutes left, and I've debated back and forth if, if this is a trail I want to go down at the end, and I think I do. So before I shut this down, let me say one more thing in light of this text, which is just pastor speak for, I got more time. It seems to me as humans, we're, we're not very good to our fellow humans. And one of the ways we're not very good to our fellow humans is we love to categorize humans. We'll say humans are this, humans are that, and we just put all these little categories out there, and we, can, we, we put ourselves in the category of good, like I'm in the good category. And we see all these other categories of human beings, and we're like, and those are the bad people, all these other categories. And some of these categories, we, we're like, okay, they're okay. And other categories, like, oh, no, they're, they're not okay. And when it looks to me from our text, and when you keep looking at the Bible, God has two categories, in Adam or in Christ. That's it. Redeemed or not redeemed. I don't think God is concerned so much with the categories we put around people. I don't know if he's that concerned if you're a liberal or if you're a conservative. Uh-oh. Democrat or Republican, black, white, brown, I mean, I think we retain, we, we retain our ethnicity for sure because in Revelation it says every tribe, tongue, and nation. So absolutely, those are important. But I don't, I don't even think, I think he's got a greater category. It's redeemed or not redeemed. I think it's a category of rich or poor or dumb or smart or gay or straight. I just, I think perhaps Christian, are, the way we can treat humanity better around us is to view things the way God views things. And he sees redeemed and not redeemed, or maybe to say saved and lost. 
Now, I'm not minimizing sin and the sin of human beings, and I think we should hate our sin and we should hate sin as well. Absolutely. Hate the things God hates, love the things God loves. Absolutely. But there are lost and there are found people. And I think we would do the world a better service as Christians to see people as lost or found. And when they are lost, let's expect them to be lost. Not expect them to clean their act up and do the things that saved, found people do. So they're going to mess themselves. Okay. We don't have to like their sin. As a matter of fact, we can hate their sin on their behalf, but we can still see them as lost and not expect people to do things that only people who are saved and empowered by the Holy Spirit can do. Furthermore, listen to me, Christian. Listen, listen. Please, for the love of God, listen. Let's not expect a human institution to be what's going to save this world. Because we think sometimes, and like, please hear me on this. We think sometimes if we could just elect the right person and then we'll bust that ceiling and we'll all be flying high in the sky and flourishing and all that kind of stuff. I don't think so. I don't. Should we vote? Yes. Should we vote? Try as godly as we can. It's getting harder and harder, let me tell you. Sure. Let's do that for sure. But it's just, it's just humanity and humanity breaks things because humanity is broken. And so absolutely, we should do justice and do mercy, but, but, um, but to think that like, if we can just get the right government in place and everything is going to be great, no. There's only one government that's going to make everything great again. It's Jesus and his kingdom. And so that's where we need to lean into that. That's where we need to love people and invite people into that. And, and like, yeah, you know, they've got a lot of sin in their life. They do things I don't agree with. They do things the Bible doesn't agree with, but they need Jesus. They need to be redeemed. They, didn't, they need to know Christ. They're still in Adam. And God, he is the one who's going to judge based upon works. And people will be saved based on the works of another, either or condemned, condemned by Adam or saved by Jesus. It's a great opportunity for us to go into this world and to love people well and to lead them to Christ as best we can so he can save them. And, and then we can hate sin together with them, Right? I don't know. What's God saying to you today? What's God put, putting upon your heart? Let's, let's just be obedient to whatever that is. I'm going to pray for us, and let's go to the Lord's table. Father, thank you so much uh, for your great love, and great kindness, and mercy to each and every one of us. God, you, you would have been just good and right to leave us all in Adam. It's the due penalty for sin and disobedience. We sin by nature. We sin by choice. And so it, it, you would have been right to just to leave us in that. And yet, God, you are just unbelievably gracious and kind. Even in your word, it says, how much more? In your word, it says, many. And so, God, thank you for your kindness that leads us to repentance, that leads us to worship of you, Jesus. And so I pray for us today, Father, from the text that you would speak to us. Perhaps for some of us, you're speaking uh, for us to lead our, our, ourselves, to lead our homes, to lead our families in, in a more God, godly way. Help us to do that and empower us. Perhaps we need to stop running on the, the treadmill of works, trying to get your approval and be better, and all we do is go nowhere and get exhausted. We need to get off of it and just trust you to be good and trust you to be gracious. And trust Jesus' work was enough. P perhaps today, 
Some need to be born again. And so, Jesus, I know, I know you do that. And so would you save them? Take them from death to life. And Jesus, as, as Christians, may we look at the outside world as redeemed and unredeemed, found and lost. And, and may we deeply love you and deeply love others, no matter where they're coming from, in such a way that we make you attractive, that we make you look really good because you are so good. So just give us the wisdom and discernment on how to do that. As we do that, God, I pray that you would draw many people to yourself, that you would save many people, and it would just, by our works, you would be glorified. Would you do that for our unity? Would you do that for our joy? And Jesus, may all this be done for your namesake, by your power. It's in your name we pray. Amen.